The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't Welcome to the Anchored City Podcast, where we are connecting with Anchorage's soul through her histories, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. On a pleasant August evening last summer, I went on the Anchorage ghost tour that's led by Rick Goodfellow. This haunted walk through downtown is highly recommended if you enjoy Anchorage history or the paranormal. At a stop along 4th Avenue, I listened to a story about the old Empress Theater, which stood at 712 West 4th Avenue and was built by Cap Lathrop in 1916, who later built the 4th Avenue Theater. The building is now gone, and part of the Anchorage Police Department headquarters sits on the spot where it once stood. I'm not going to go into too much history on the Empress, because I did that on Between the Seasons episode 12 last December. But after the theater closed, the Empress building was renovated and became a bank and later a string of restaurants and bars. One such incarnation was the Anchor Bar. In a 2011 article in the Anchorage Daily News, the Anchorage bar stop of the Ghost Tour of Anchorage was described this way. The Anchor Pub and Club, on the site of a former theater where the staff refuses to go into the basement unless they go in pairs. The story I recall hearing that night on the sidewalk on 4th Avenue went something like this. The Anchor Pub was having a bit of trouble with ghosts and they hired a manager that had a reputation for managing visitors from the other side. In the end, that manager did appease the unwanted attention from the spirits of the past. That was all well and good, but it's the rest of the story that stood out to me. I was told that back in the very early days of the city, if a man was looking for female companionship, he might buy a ticket to the movies at the Empress Theater as a cover, and then he would sneak out of the back of the theater through a tunnel in the basement that led to an underground club or dance hall underneath Crocker's department store across the street. That building now houses Trapper Jack's Trading Post souvenir shop. At the dance hall, that man could find the type of female attention he was looking for. I was unsure of the story, so I did a little poking around. What I found was very interesting. In a 2022 article in the Anchorage Daily News, retired Anchorage Fire Inspector Cleo Hill went on record saying that she had been in tunnels beneath 4th Avenue in the early 1990s as part of a fire inspection. The paper noted that some of the businesses at the time were connected by doors and passageways underground, though most of the establishments had blocked the tunnels off to keep people from sneaking in. The article continued, Descending below the businesses, Hill said she found old mattresses in sectioned-off rooms, including some that looked like jail cells with bars. She described the space as both surprising and creepy. It was dark and smelled musty, and there was an electrical wire with a light bulb strung every 20 or so feet. 
According to Hill, no one seemed to know much about the tunnels. She added, inspectors never found anyone in the tunnels, but they tossed around ideas. Was someone being kept or trafficked down there? Were the rooms to keep people and the mattresses to sleep on? Hill was quoted as saying, I had heard rumors that they were using those areas for nefarious things. I myself never saw anything other than having the mattresses there, but I mean, if you're going to have a mattress laying out there, it seems like there's a reason. What Hill saw seemed to be consistent with the story I heard on the ghost tour. Adding to the lore of what might have happened in the basement of Crocker's department store is the fact that in the 1940s, a bar opened in that same underground area. On Wednesday, March 18, 1942, a full-page ad ran in the Anchorage Daily Times that read, Announcing the opening, Walt's South Seas Cocktail Lounge in Crocker's Basement, 6 o'clock tonight. The most beautiful and exotic cocktail lounge ever seen in the Northland. No expense has been spared in making this bit of the South Seas the sort of place you'll want to return to again and again. The South Seas predominates throughout the place. Waving coconut palms, bamboo rails and decorations, palm thatch canopies, Samoan turtles, coral idols, and basketry combined with a sunken dance floor and a concealed orchestra furnish you with the sort of the amusement that you've often dreamed of but never seen. Unique favors for everyone. Join the crowds at Walt's South Seas. The ads featured an attractive woman in a seductive pose talking on a telephone. An article ran the same day that called the new tiki bar luxurious and said it was believed by many to be the finest establishment of its kind north of Los Angeles. The decor was designed by C.W. Sawyer, a Hollywood designer who had to feel fulfilled when the paper called the South Seas breathtaking. Working in those swanky confines as a bartender and bouncer was future Alaska Governor Wally J. Hickel. The space that was the bar below Crocker's includes a long corridor that some have speculated was a firing range, which seems fishier to me than the ghost stories. However, that space wasn't the only subterranean location in downtown Anchorage. There was an underground ballroom beneath the Panhandle Bar just a few blocks away. In an online article about Doug Vandergraaff's book, A Guide to the Notorious Bars of Alaska, on the University of Alaska Anchorage's website, reads, The Panhandle Bar isn't on any tourist must-see list, but it's the oldest continuously operating bar in Anchorage. During Prohibition, it's supposedly connected to the Union Club, currently the Avenue, by an underground bootlegger tunnel. The Panhandle even hosted an underground dance hall called the Silver Slipper, a painted slipper faded and chipped, still exists on the basement floor. And then there's the basement below the building at 4th Avenue and E Street. 415 E Street, to be exact. A building that has had a number of residents in recent years, including Rum Runners, the Hard Rock Cafe, and the Bear Paw Restaurant. In the below-ground level of that building, which was once a bank, are two vaults that the Anchorage Daily News described as straight out of a heist film. One of the vaults now contains a municipal electrical transformer. The second vault contains a martini bar that was clearly operating outside of the law at some point in the past. Despite the evidence of tunnels and below-ground bars, not everyone is convinced of the off-sited origins of the tunnels in downtown Anchorage. The Daily News reported that, a network of tunnels used for bootlegging in Anchorage and prompted by the banning of alcohol during Prohibition is unlikely, according to local historian and Daily News history columnist David Reamer. While the city has a history of stills and basements and hidden underground chambers, 
Tunnels don't seem likely given how new the city was when liquor was banned in 1915. Reamer was quoted as saying, With so little law enforcement in the town at the time, constructing tunnels would have taken way too much work for too little gain. Reamer added, It was far easier to simply land boats south of town and bring the goods in by foot, cart, or car. I'd be delighted by the discovery of bootlegging tunnels, but I'd need some concrete evidence before I'd acknowledge it was more than a legend. And there are deserts that I have yet to cross. And I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost. And I would search the wide world over. Spinard. Say the word and the series of ideas and images might pop to mind. The road and the neighborhood in Anchorage are both famous and infamous for many reasons. Both are named after an early resident of the city, Joseph Joe Arthur Spinard. According to the website alaskahistory.org, Joseph Joe Arthur Spinard was born July 15, 1879 in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, of French-Canadian parents Arthur Spinard and Emile Martel. Little is known about his early life in Canada. The website adds, about 1906, Spinard married Edith Llewellyn. Joe Spinard and his wife Edith arrived in Valdez in 1909. At first, Joe worked as a securities trader, but the small town of Valdez couldn't support that type of work. And before long, he was running a taxi and delivery service he called City Express. In 1916, Spinard moved his wife and his business to Anchorage. In Anchorage, Joe used an Ario Speedwagon truck for deliveries and as a volunteer vehicle for the fire department. He also used a Ford Touring car as a taxi. Both were painted bright yellow. That same year, Joe made a bet with Pool Hall and local baseball team owner Jack Robards. The Daily Times reported the outcome of the bet this way. Joe Spinard caused considerable excitement Saturday afternoon when he attempted to drive his yellow car through the doors of Robards' pool hall. He made the attempt for a box of cigars promised him by Jack Robards if he accomplished the feat. Otherwise, he was to pay the damages. Joe is still smoking his pipe. Historian David Reamer shares, When business was slow, Spinard would don his yellow suit, get in his yellow car, and drive around Anchorage. He would pick up children along the way and create a one-car parade. In July of 1916, Joe Spinard began building a country club on the shores of Lake Spinard which is now part of the Spinard Hood seaplane base. According to alaskahistory.org, Spinard claimed a 160-acre homestead, which included the area known as Jeter Lake. Spinard went ahead with his plans to develop the lake and surrounding land. His plans called for a full-scale resort with a roadhouse, bathhouses, and a bathing beach. Spinard temporarily shut down his express business to devote his entire time to the resort and the carrying of people to and from the lake. By August 6, he had completed the dance pavilion and picnic tables. On August 4, 1916, the name Lake Spinard seems to have appeared for the first time in print when the Anchorage Daily Times reported that the annual Elks picnic would be held there. To develop the road to the lake, he convinced members of Bill's Club, 
which would eventually become the Anchorage Elks Club, to help him cut trees and build a corduroy road from the city limits at 9th and L across both Chester and Fish Creek Valleys to the lake, the path that is today Spinard Road. The resort was popular with locals and very short-lived. In May of 1917, the entire operation, houses, dance pavilion, picnic tables, and other improvements burned to the ground from a fire that was likely caused by careless hunters. The loss of the resort and Joe's failing health, including a broken leg and a heart condition, caused him to leave Anchorage in the fall of 1917. David Reamer writes of Spinard, Historians have generally treated Joe Spinard kindly, calling him a character or colorful. The latter was frequently true in a literal sense, most notably with his yellow suit and car. But colorful was also a polite way to cover for a litany of sins. He was not merely colorful, he was a criminal. Joe was a bootlegger, and his lakeside resort was safely miles beyond city limits, and thus the place where all manner of illegal goods and acts were traded. He also illegally blazed a road and cleared the trees around the lake, through and within a national forest. Then he sold much of the ill-gotten lumber. Despite his assertions to the contrary, he never filed a claim for a homestead around what became Spinard Lake. He was a squatter. In short, Joe Spinard was the type of guy who never let anything so mundane as social niceties or laws interfere with making a buck. Even the use of Spinard to name the lake is something of a theft. From roughly 1907 through the summer of 1916, what we today call Lake Spinard was instead known as Jeter Lake. Thomas Jeter was the first colonial settler associated with the Spinard area. He lost his stake in the area after its removal as part of the Chugach National Forest in 1907. In that quote, Reamer doesn't hold back at all. And he's right. Spinard, while not digging actual underground tunnels, was working at a number of underground businesses. In a final parting shot, Reamer notes, The Spinard neighborhood is named after a criminal, a man who only spent around 20 months in Anchorage more than a century ago. The strength I gather And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already And the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And all the questions are never new But loving you just once was worth it In 1969, Ebony Magazine called Anchorage resident Zula Swanson Alaska's richest black, and her story is part of the underworld of Anchorage, too. Swanson was born in 1891 in Jackson Gap, Alabama. By 1918, she had moved across the country to Portland, Oregon, where she married a mechanic and chauffeur named John Lowe. The marriage only lasted a handful of years. In the wake of her marriage breaking up, she turned to prostitution to make money. According to Jan McKell Collins, the author of Good Time Girls of the Pacific Northwest, a red-light history of Washington, Oregon, and Alaska, one source has verified that Zula entered the prostitution industry after her pimp was sent to jail in Washington for bootlegging in 1927. Around that same time, after managing to barely escape a drunk driving conviction that involved the death of a woman, Zula did what many have done and left for Alaska to escape the heat in 1930. 
When she arrived in Anchorage, she saw business opportunities. She saved $2,000 and soon after arriving, she bought a burned out building on a downtown lot and opened a boarding house as a front for a brothel. After that, according to blackpast.org, she opened the Rendezvous Hotel that included a lounge and served as a networking space for African Americans in the segregated city. The bar was often the first stop for new arrivals looking for employment or housing. Sometime in the 1930s, Swanson began a long-running affair with an unnamed prominent white businessman. That relationship served to further Zula's ambitions in Anchorage real estate. Her secret lover kept her out of trouble with the law, but also afforded her contacts with local civic leaders. Blackpast.org writes, Throughout the 1940s and 50s, she purchased additional commercial and residential lots in the city, some for as low as $700. Due to her business acumen and her resourcefulness, by the 1960s, she was one of the largest landowners in the state. She sold one of her downtown lots, reportedly worth as much as $250,000, to developers who built the J.C. Penney store in 1962. Jan McKell Collins notes, By 1940, she owned her own home, and the census that year records her as sharing it with one Betty Parrish. She continues, By the time Zula's financial wizard lover died in the 1950s, the woman was so wealthy and powerful that she was able to forge on without him. The Anchorage Museum notes that, While growing her business empire, Zula maintained an active role in the civic life in Anchorage. She was one of the founding members of the Anchorage chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, in 1951, and was a member of various community clubs, including the Daughters of the Elks. She helped establish the Anchorage chapter of the NAACP after a racially motivated arson attack burned down a black family home in Rogers Park in 1950. By the early 1960s, Zula was semi-retired and living in a large home on Goose Lake. When she died in January of 1973, her obituary in the Fairbanks Newsminer read, Zula Swanson Webster, reputed to have been one of the city's leading madams during the 1930s, is dead at age 81. McKell Collins adds, The story only merited page two coverage, although Zula's real estate holdings alone were worth a half a million dollars. Zula's fortune began in the underground world of a brothel parading as a boarding house, and ended up in a large home on a lake. The rendezvous bar was torn down before her death, and the house on Goose Lake eventually burned. Anchorage has always had an underground of illegal activity. Those activities may have literally been taking place underground in tunnels or basement bars, or they could have figuratively been underground, thinly veiled behind words like resort or boarding house. There are still underground crimes taking place in Anchorage today. One of those crimes is human trafficking. Join me on our next episode when I'll be talking with Josie Haynow of Signify Consulting about what is possible in the area of human trafficking. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there.
Thank you so much for listening. We're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen, and recommend us to your friends. Those are small things, but they make a huge difference. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner. Mm-hmm.